0: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: You are listening to As a Woman, Episode 113, Estrogen Dominance. In this episode, I'm talking about your hormones, what they are, what they should be, and what it means when people tell you these things.
0: Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman.
1: Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to dive in to a big piece of misinformation, and that is estrogen dominance. Now listen, I know that if you have been told you have estrogen dominance, or you Google it, and you see symptoms, and you say, that's me, something's wrong with me. It really means that you're looking for answers that you are not getting. But the reality is, this is not a real diagnosis. It's not a real thing. It is taking hormones and not understanding them and making a disease because it's convenient for us. And I know that's hard to hear and I don't think any patient or person is trying to accelerate misinformation. I do think there are predatory providers who take advantage of people looking for help. And I'm just gonna give a few examples before we dive into this. If what you need for your disease requires a medication that is a prescription, and you see a provider who has no authority to prescribe, which often they can't if they're not a medical doctor, then their only option is to sell you or to treat you with something else. Because you don't want to go see a doctor who says, oh, you need X, but I can't give it to you. And so the system that we have created where physicians, and other providers often do not work together is part of the problem here. And before we dive in, I'm not talking about any one person, any one type of provider in general. I am just saying there could be bad physicians just as well. I'm aware of that. But for you as a person, if you are seeking help, please understand who you're seeking care with, what their credentials are, And if they're not giving you what you need or it sounds too good to be true, please investigate other options. So I know someone who spent thousands on tests and supplements from a non-physician-based provider to treat her estrogen dominance. And it's not at all what she needed. And by the time she came to me, she was very frustrated at the fact that the actual treatment that made her feel better was much, much, much less expensive. I've also had patients who've been seriously harmed. I've had patients with hypothalamic amenorrhea that is an estrogen deficiency from the brain not sending out hormones, not appropriately treated with estrogen, and that can lead to serious long-term consequences and be damaging for one's health. Again, these are examples. There's examples of bad doctors out there. All I am saying is that You deserve better, and you deserve to understand your body. So if somebody tries to give you a diagnosis of estrogen dominance, fight back. You want to understand that. Let's think about the normal menstrual cycle. I like to think about the ovary, and imagine that there's a vault on the inside. Inside that vault are a lot of eggs. Imagine a group of eggs comes out of the vault every month. One egg grows inside a follicle. A follicle is a small fluid-filled structure you can see on ultrasound. Now, the brain is gonna send out follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH. FSH rises in the first part of the cycle, and what it does is stimulate a follicle to grow. As that follicle grows, the egg inside matures, and a maturing egg makes estrogen. After approximately two weeks, the egg is mature, and it will make 200 picograms of estrogen for 50 hours, so a very precise amount, and in that high estrogen state, will tell the brain, hey, there's a mature egg, and you will have an LH surge be sent out from the pituitary gland, which will allow you to ovulate. After ovulation, that follicle then reforms and is the corpus luteum. And the corpus luteum makes progesterone, so the entire first half of the cycle is progesterone deficient, but it also makes estrogen too. The corpus luteum actually makes a lot of hormones, relaxin, and other things that can be really important for implantation and early pregnancy. So it's not solely a progesterone thing. Our cycle is not estrogen only in the first half and progesterone only in the second half. Our cycle is estrogen only in the first half, estrogen and progesterone in the second half. And if you have a pregnancy implant, then that pregnancy will start to secrete HCG, which will stimulate progesterone production from that corpus luteum. If there is no pregnancy that implants, then your HCG is going to drop, your progesterone is not going to be stimulated because the corpus luteum has a lifespan of about two weeks, progesterone and estrogen levels will fall, and suddenly you will lead into a period or menses. When you are bleeding, you are at a time of low estrogen and progesterone. Okay, so everybody is estrogen-dominant in the follicular phase. If you are an ovulating person, then in the early part of the cycle, while you grow an egg, you're estrogen-dominant. And then in the second half of the cycle, you should have both progesterone and estrogen. Now, where people came up with this estrogen-dominant thing is a couple factors. One of the most common ones is when someone's not ovulating, PCOS. So a lot of times people will give somebody the diagnosis, I'm using air quotes, of estrogen dominance instead of diagnosing someone with PCOS. Maybe because PCOS is stigmatized or people don't like that diagnosis or estrogen dominance sounds sexier, I'm not really sure. But that happens all the time. So let's just think about PCOS. In PCOS, what happens is you are not ovulating because you have a lot of eggs in the vault. I like to think about it as you have more than normal eggs come out of the vault, the brain then sends out the normal amount of FSH, but that signal gets diluted. And so all of those small eggs do not see enough FSH to reliably respond and ovulate at a predictable interval. Now, what also happens is that the ovary is a hormone-making factory, and so the ovary starts making androgen hormones like testosterone stimulated from LH because that pathway is easier. And that can cause some of the clinical signs of PCOS like insulin resistance, acne, hair growth, central obesity, things like that. However, what is really happening is that each tiny little follicle makes some baseline estrogen. So a woman with PCOS will often have a little bit higher level of estrogen at baseline, meaning when she's on her period or when her ovaries are not growing eggs, her estrogen may be slightly higher than somebody with a normal amount. And that makes sense. Imagine each little follicle makes like one picogram of estrogen when it's just sitting there. It makes 200 when it's mature. A typical baseline, we'd see an estrogen of around 20. And in someone with PCOS, you may see an estrogen around 40 or 50. When you use our code A-A-W, that's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? It's not really estrogen-dominant. It's a normal process from those small little follicles. And that amount of estradiol is not causing you any problems, but it is really a consequence of what is happening. And what is happening is you are not ovulating. But you're not really dominant in estrogen. That estrogen is actually rather low compared to the levels that we see when you have an ovulatory follicle. It's just persistent and not changing like it would normally change in a cycle. And there is no progesterone because it's the follicular phase. People in PCOS live in the follicular phase for a long, long time because it takes an extended amount of FSH to get them to ovulate if they ever do. And so that's a normal finding in that stage. Yes, unopposed estrogen, meaning estrogen without progesterone. And anybody who doesn't ovulate, who's making some estrogen, can be harmful and it can cause the endometrial lining to get unstable and have abnormal bleeding and it also can predispose you to endometrial cancer because it is normal for a woman to shut off the lining of the uterus if it is being stimulated to grow. And yes, prolonged exposure to even slightly elevated baseline levels can cause this if you never bleed and that's why you'll see doctors talk about putting people with PCOS or anovulation on birth control pills or on cyclic progesterone pills like Provera, something to cause that endometrial lining to shut off. Now, do you need a compounded progesterone cream every single day or an herb to drop your estrogen levels? Those aren't really the valid treatments. Now, why is compounded progesterone cream not? It's usually more expensive than other versions, number one. Number two, progesterone cream is not giving us constant reliable levels. I swear if it did, I would use it in IVF cycles instead of making people give themselves shots of intramuscular progesterone. I would much rather make my patients happy and let them put a cream on their body if that was a sufficient way to give you progesterone at a reliable absorption in serum levels that were good. But the truth is it's not. And PCOS is not the only thing that falls into here. Anytime you're overweight, your fat cells do make a different type of estrogen, and that estrogen can contribute to not ovulating as well. And this is one of the factors in why, if you're overweight and you lose weight, you will decrease some of that peripheral fat cell estrogen and you may improve your own ovulation. So, if you're overweight and you go to the doctor, they may say, hey, You should lose some weight. This will help your fertility or help your ovulation. And that's one of the mechanisms why. Now, taking progesterone daily or compounded progesterone cream, especially if you're trying to get pregnant, is not gonna help. And taking estrogen-binding medications or supplements or non-valid things that are not FDA-approved have not been shown to be beneficial. Again, otherwise, I'd have no problem doing that. I love, I mean, my patients will tell you, I like supplements and I like talking about diet and I like talking about natural things and I swear if there's an option that we can give you that is safe and effective, we will do it. But if you're backing your knowledge with science, you don't want to treat somebody with something that's not verified to be good for them or helpful for their situation unless there's no other option. That's a different conversation, right? I have no treatment or I have this. Well, this may be the best thing, understanding the risks. But in these cases where we have options that we know can prevent endometrial cancer and can help you lower your sugar levels and treat your diabetes, where we can replace your estrogen in a really sufficient way, there's really no need to go down some of these alternative roads and it may cause you more harm and you likely will spend more money. Now, those aren't the only things that cause you not to ovulate. So I see not diagnosed to thyroid disease, prolactin or other pituitary abnormalities all the time. And I see patients who have hypothalamic amenorrhea, which means you're not ovulating because your brain is not sending out any hormones, get misdiagnosed all the time. Your period is a vital sign. I do believe that if you're not getting regular periods, You should and you do deserve an evaluation to try to figure out why. The other thing I want to think about is checking your hormones. Saliva-based assays have not been shown to be effective methods. So finger prick is very different. There have been studies showing that fingerprint steroid hormone levels can correlate with blood. I'm fine with that. Saliva has not. Saliva has not. Also, a lot of hormones fluctuate. Let's use one of my favorites, progesterone it fluctuates in the entire luteal phase. So if somebody is telling you that you're estrogen dominant because the ratio of your estrogen to progesterone is wrong, well, how do they know where you are in your LH pulses? What happens is progesterone is stimulated from that corpus luteum at pulses, from the LH pulses from the brain. It can range anywhere between three to 40 in the entire luteal phase. So three to 40 nanograms. So one moment it may be three, the next moment it may be 40. All of those are perfectly fine and appropriate, and that's normal, pulsatile fashion secretion of progesterone from the corpus luteum in the luteal phase, or after you have ovulated. Now, once a pregnancy starts stimulating, that's very different, because a pregnancy is sending out a more constant signal of HCG, causing significant progesterone increase, and we will have levels for pregnancies where we typically like to see a progesterone at. Different story. We're talking about your period. So in your normal luteal cycle, if somebody checks a progesterone on day 21, what that really means is they should be checking a progesterone about one week after ovulation. If it is higher than three nanograms, you've ovulated. That is all it tells you. My fellowship program director loved progesterone, you guys. He loves progesterone. He loves endometriosis. He has spent his whole life looking at the endometrium. It is his jam. And he's looked and done really good studies showing that serum progesterone levels do not equate with the quality of the luteal phase, meaning there's no minimum threshold that makes us feel like it's good. So this is totally bogus that, oh, well, you have a high estrogen and a low progesterone in the luteal phase, therefore you're estrogen dominant. No, no, no. Progesterone over three equals you ovulated. Estrogen is typically high because you ovulated, at least while that corpus luteum is still making hormones, period, the end. In the follicular phase, estrogen is being released constantly and usually increases really rapidly. We don't check random estrogen levels in normal cycles at all. There's no need to check an estrogen in the follicular phase. It doesn't tell us anything. We do this when we do IVF or cycle monitoring as we're trying to watch follicles grow gauge dose of medications, that's totally different. The time where it's valid to usually check labs is at baseline, which is cycle day two or three of your cycle, meaning you're on your period. And what you're trying to see at that period is saying, if all things are normal, you usually see an FSH and LH that are normal and a baseline estrogen that is low because the ovaries are at baseline. They're not growing an egg now. Another time people get called estrogen dominant, is when they're really starting to run out of eggs. So this is somebody who gets early labs drawn and her estrogen is high at baseline and her other labs are fine. That's actually a sign that you don't have very many eggs left in your vault and fewer are being sent out every month and your brain is working really hard to get an egg to grow and it sends out a stronger signal of FSH, which caused an egg to start growing faster in your cycle resulting in an elevated estrogen. Now, because that estradiol is higher, your FSH has dropped back to normal. So labs that are concerning include normal FSH-LH and a high estrogen at baseline. That also could be a sign of diminished ovarian reserve or running out of eggs. So you... And then even more concerning would be a high FSH, a high estrogen, and a normal LH because now the brain is constantly working super hard to get that sent out. Friends, you are being done a disservice if your blood is being called estrogen-dominant without knowing what that means. Is it PCOS? Is it being overweight? Are you running out of eggs? Are you going to miss out on the opportunity to have a family? Are you just not ovulating for another reason? Maybe it's thyroid or pituitary. Is this a normal finding in the luteal phase and somebody doesn't know how to interpret labs? I really mean it that that diagnosis should be a red flag for you and should be something that makes you stop and say, hey, what is really going on here? Because there's times when estrogen can be dominant and it's perfectly normal, Cycle day number 10 in a typical 28-day cycle, you'll be very estrogen dominant, totally normal. Right around ovulation, you're very estrogen dominant, very, very normal. So is somebody selling you something based on a normal phase of your cycle? Or is there actually a disease process going on that's not being treated appropriately or you're spending tons of money to treat it with non-verified treatment? The biggest thing for me is the delay in diagnosis of getting you in the office to really get help for what is going on. I've had patients with endometrial cancer causing them abnormal bleeding, and they were told they were estrogen dominant because they were PCOS. They were not properly evaluated for their bleeding, their cancer was not diagnosed, and it was upstaged. So we mean it that these different disease processes need to be evaluated, and you need to understand what's going on. I don't think that that provider was trying to cause harm, but harm was done unknowingly because the training is different for a reason. And we, who are physicians, go through a lot. If there was a shorter pathway that I felt like would have given me the knowledge I needed, I would have taken it. But honestly, I wanted to be the expert, and I'm still learning stuff every single day, even after doing a year of ER, four years of OBGYN, three years of REI, sitting for written and oral boards in OBGYN, written and oral boards in REI. Now I have to do CME every year. I still read our journals all the time, especially in my field, especially in reproductive health, which has chronically been underfunded, and we are finally seeing money be put into studies by independent industry that research is finally advancing. Cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com/aaw for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's slash aaw to get free shipping and 365-day returns, quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. So to summarize, I'm not saying that excess estrogen is good for you. I am saying that estrogen's good for you. People do not feel good without estrogen. Hello, menopause. Having low estrogen makes you feel not great. Hello, hypothalamic amenorrhea. Low estrogen makes you feel not great. Estrogen makes us feel better. It makes our body function. And being without estrogen is harmful to your health. You're going to have an increased risk of heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, increased risk of heart attack, osteoporosis. And so estrogen is okay. It is not your enemy. That being said, there are disease processes that might cause estrogen to be higher that do deserve to be evaluated. If your period is not normal, you need an evaluation. However, if you are having normal regular cycles, estrogen dominance is not a disease. Nothing's happening there. If you're worried about a gluteal phase defect or not ovulating appropriately, it has nothing to do with estrogen dominance. So really be mindful if somebody is giving you that diagnosis about what it means. Let me touch on a couple other things about estrogen excess. What I've heard a lot lately is that Estrogen dominance causes you to have endometriosis or uterine fibroids. Not true, just not true, okay? I understand the confusion here, so I'm not blaming any person who thinks or has been told this. Endometriosis is an inflammatory and an autoimmune condition. Your body starts to respond appropriately to normal processes, and endometrial tissue starts to develop outside the abdomen. Disease is nothing to do with estrogen. That said, Estrogen, even in normal cycles, when you have normal estrogen levels, because you're ovulating, stimulates endometrial tissue. The endometrium is the lining of the uterus. That's how it thickens to grow a baby. However, when that endometrial tissue is outside your uterus and it is stimulated, it can cause you significant pain and scarring of your internal organs. So the mechanism of the disease has nothing to do with estrogen, but estrogen does stimulate the lining to grow, and specifically the natural estradiol that our body makes. Estrone from fat cells doesn't, and nor does ethanol estradiol, the type of estrogen that's in birth control pills. But our normal ovulatory estrogen, estradiol, which is made from the ovary, same estrogen that stimulates the lining of the uterus, stimulates the endometriosis in other locations. And so one of our treatments includes, well, taking out the lesions, excisional surgery, but also maybe medications that prevent you from ovulating because then you do not make estrogen from your ovaries. And that can help stop the pain or stop the spread or the advancement of the disease. But having excess estrogen has nothing to do with it. Otherwise, guys, we would see people who have baseline higher estrogen levels like PCOS develop endometriosis all the time. And actually the diseases don't usually go together because PCOS patients tend not to ovulate. Therefore their endometriosis lesions aren't stimulated the same. So when endometriosis patients are being told they are estrogen dominant and buying estrogen binding medications and these other supplement herbs that are not proven to be helpful friends, that's not right. You really deserve a true solution to your pain. Please see an endometriosis specialist. That is usually a minimally invasive surgeon who has done training on endo and on pelvic pain or somebody who does pain specifically. That's a terrible disease and you deserve real, real treatment. So please seek that out. But supplements are not going to get the job done there. I, I wish that they would. The other thing I see go in this category is uterine fibroids. Somebody gets told their estrogen dominance caused their uterine fibroid. Again, that's a miscalculation or a misunderstanding of the normal menstrual cycle. Estrogen does not cause fibroids, but it may stimulate them to grow because a fibroid is a benign ball of tissue inside the uterus that is the same tissue as the muscle part of the uterus. It's not stimulated quite the same as the endometrium, so it's not like endometriosis. It's more of the muscular component. So a lot of fibroids are non-hormonal responsive. Some of them are. Some of them shrink with progesterone. Some of them get worse with estrogen. It's all different. But again, surgery is a big treatment or things that are actually going to stop your bleeding. Supplements in that stage of the game, meaning a non-prescription-based medication, are not going to cure you of your fibroids or of your endometriosis or of your PCOS. These are diseases that really can't be cured. They are underlying in you. Now, you may be able to put it in remission. You may be able to make it so that it's not bothersome for you. You may be able to remove a fibroid, but we've all seen fibroids come back, endometriosis come back, PCOS managed and then uncontrolled. These are all independent disease states that you should really understand if that's what's going on with you and not get this blanket, oh, estrogen is the problem. The last thing I wanna say is that a supplement, I'm really making them sound like the bad guys here. Just understand that somebody who can't prescribe medications has limited things in their arsenal. If they are profiting off the sale of that supplement, that is a huge, huge red flag. If it is a supplement, that you have to get, that there's another prescription-based alternative, the supplement's often more expensive. So you have to really understand why is that being recommended for me over progesterone pills? How is this going to help me ovulate? What is the underlying cause of my disease? Is this daily progesterone going to prevent me from getting pregnant? What about this herb or that herb? Are they valid? Are they interacting with my hormones? Is the biotin I'm taking messing up my hormone assays? Is the Vitex or the Chaseberry I'm taking effectively giving me progesterone-like compounds every single day? Is the maca that I'm taking causing estrogen stimulation? I want you to understand your body. You have one life. You have one body. It sucks when it's not working right. When you feel off, when something is wrong, you deserve answers. I believe the period is a vital sign. I know I've said that. I know other people don't feel that way. And some people won't ask you about your periods and some people won't pay attention to you. Even medical doctors with all this training. I'm well aware of that. And I am so sorry. There are so many of us out here who spend our free time educating you about your body, who spend our time with our patients trying to make sure they understand what is going on with their body so that they can take care of themselves the best. Having somebody selling you supplements out of their office is a red flag. Having somebody tell you you have estrogen dominance is a red flag. Having somebody tell you you need a birth control pill cleanse is a red flag. Half-life of most birth control pills is 12 to 24 hours. That's why if you skip a pill, you could get pregnant. You don't need months long of an expensive cleanse package. Having somebody draw hormone levels at a random time in your cycle. The appropriate times where we have hormone levels that can mean something include baseline, cycle day two or three, hormones that are appropriate to check then, FSH, LH, estradiol, cycle day 21 or one week after ovulation, Hormone that's appropriate to check then, progesterone. The only other time, and I'm a hormone expert and I have no problem saying it, that I check random hormone levels is correlated with an ultrasound. So I'm finding something on ultrasound and then I'm checking the blood work to make sure that makes sense. Is that a follicle making estrogen or is it a residual cyst? Are you periovulatory or are you not? Have you already released an LH surge or do you need a trigger shot? So I will look with ultrasound and correlate with blood work. If somebody's just drawing random blood work on you, that's not appropriate in any scenario. And if it's not blood work, but it's saliva-based assays, another huge red flag. So I'm trying to arm you with information so that you can know, hey, this is not appropriate, and maybe I need to seek care with somebody else. Does it stink that you have to go advocate for yourself? And that you may have to switch doctors many a times? Yes. It takes the average endometriosis patients about seven years to get a diagnosis. Seven years of pelvic pain, abnormal symptoms, things that aren't normal. They get misdiagnosed with so many things. We see mental disease like depression and anxiety extremely high because dealing with pain for so long is not normal. I'm a full believer that you need to be listened to, that your body is telling you something and you need to get help. I understand the appeal of if you're not getting what you need from your doctor, maybe trying an alternative health provider. Very often they don't take insurance, their models are different where they can spend more time with you. And I love seeing physicians take the same model, going into direct or concierge medicine, saying, I'm gonna spend more time with my patients and I'm gonna screw the insurance company, I don't care about them, like these other providers do. And there are alternative health providers who I love. There are naturopaths, chiropractors, acupuncturists, nurse practitioners, PAs, dietitians, physical therapists. There's tons. So there are people who really do add to your care and can be really helpful to you that I really, really admire the work that they're doing in this space. And they're practicing in their lane and they're collaborating with medical providers and they're really helping you have a healthcare team. Love it. So just be mindful of who you're seeking care from. Find a team that's going to support you the best Somebody has to be the captain of the ship. You have to know what your goals are. But I've hopefully given you some warning signs about why estrogen dominance is not a real thing and should make you stop and try to get to the root cause of what's going on. Again, I'm a big believer that your hormones matter. I love hormones. Love them so much. The ovary is my favorite organ. I love when it functions normally. I love figuring out what's going on if it's not. And I really want you to see somebody who feels the exact same way. Okay, friends, I hope this has helped. As always, I really appreciate you being here and supporting me and the As Woman podcast. You can get more health-related information over on YouTube, Natalie Crawford, MD. We have 30,000 subscribers and growing. I really love being able to educate with video and pictures as well. So would love if you would check it out and subscribe and follow along. And then on Instagram at Natalie Crawford, MD.